from Barigapod Podcasts. Welcome to Dead Cinema Society, roundtable film analysis concerned with the revitalization of cinema out from entertainment. My name's Yoshi. What's good, society? Chris here, talking about Black Narcissus, the 1947 classic out of England from Powell and Pressburger. And like always, society fans, if you want more of this content, be sure to like, rate, and review on this podcast, wherever you're listening. And go check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Society. Um, okay, so on to our sponsors. This is the part of the show where our sponsors host um, a platform totally for us to. Yeah. Uh, Chris, One Chris, day. I definitely pay for this. There you go, Chris. Exactly. You do not pay shit. They pay for it, and they send us. Uh, uh, sorry about that, folks. Over to our sponsors who pay us all a handsome salary. Yes. Swiftpolling.com. Um, we are in. And uh, let me just join. All right. So SwiftPolling.com are sponsors. And Yosh gives Black Narcissus a 7.6 from Yosh. There we go. There 7.6 we go. from Yosh. At ease. At ease. At ease. All right. Fair. Fair. Chris gives Black Narcissus a... Yes. Jesus, Jesus, that's why what people people fuck? listen and this they tune in for know, these these for technological these editorial. Oh well, God. why don't you try touches. putting it on your phone or on your, on the or on the that laptop, is, whatever whatever you what have dropping down. Yeah, that's what I had to do. My phone's not working. Okay, Aaron, we'll go to you. All right, Aaron gave it a. Are you serious? Yeah, well, I think I don't know what right, the fuck. Yeah, I'll try it maybe again. when they they might not have cut our checks this week. So <laughs> I know. try. I Hold tried. Hey, <laughs> hey, hey, hey. tell us something. <laughs> oh my god! Okay, All right. so Aaron's Aaron and I are right next to each other there. All right, Paul, let's just do Paul, you again. I'm just gonna hit together. submit and see if this goes through. Hey! Okay, there we go. There we go. Right. Wow, <laughs> we're all kind of in Christ. that. Middle to like a C to a C plus so far. Let's see if Chris is is with us or against us here. Well, are you for us? If you're not with me, then you're against me. Only a Sith deals in absolutes. (laughs) Chris gives it a six point four. Okay, so yeah, for Chris it was a it was a bit more of a struggle. Mm. And now we're watching a movie. What's going on here? Oh. This is the most best it's, show we've done. It's the best show. All okay. right. Look at that. Oh, so, this. all right, folks. We got a 6.4, 7.6, 7. 7.9. The average for Black Narcissus is 7.4. Yeah. There you go. 7.4. Right and we give there. points to Aaron for being closest. So. That's right. Oh, so now we're all even. One to one to one to one. Hey. All right. And, uh, Bam. Is anyone keeping track of that or should I? I got it. Paul, are you doing that? Yes, I am keeping track here. There it is. I, I, so we're it's all funny. I've got this. One. <clears throat> okay, here we go. Black Narcissus gets a 7.4 from the Society 
Um, myself, Aaron, and Paul gave it between a C and C plus, and and Chris struggled with it a little bit more. So I'm going to start with Paul on this one, being a seven nine from Paul. I want to know. Part one of the question is, what was your experience throughout the film, uh, from beginning to end, as far mm -hmm. as your energy is going, as far as your attention span goes, and then after watching the film, what sort of uh, researches were you moved to make? Where did this film take you intellectually? Uh, both great questions and both fitting. And for the benefit of viewers and listeners, if you've been following along, uh, at least two or three times during last year, I was so moved by a movie, whether I scored it high or not, to read the book, uh, to start to do some research. Uh, we, as a society, were forming our voice and... Everybody was trying to find their roles, um, and as I mentioned at the top of the show, we sort of defaulted to certain roles. My contribution was the feeling and my personal history towards a movie being the elder statesman here. To your first point, Yoshi, for something for people either to relate to or not, I'm watching the movie um, not on a big screen. I'm watching it on first. It moved from a phone then to a computer, but throughout, I was captivated. Oh, when, when Chris whoa, whoa. when Chris talked about the intro to this movie about the um, that this was that there was a uh, a king here in this in this um, palace for a period of time, and the iconography that was up on the wall and the clear like suggestion that uh, this was a harem and there were concubines. I, I was like, okay, there's something going on here, but I don't know how far Mike, Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger can go with this movie, but I'm, I'm, I'm on board. And I, so I moved from phone to computer because I now had to do research. So this movie to answer your, so the first part, I was on board with this movie throughout the whole time because I thought as a society, we might look at this melodramatic piece and it would get a big thumbs down. I am heartened by the fact that, you know, that the four of us have found an aggregate score of about 7.4 that I think reflects where we are as a society and our appreciation for film. So where it took me to your second question, Yoshi, was the history of melodrama. It took me to movie ratings. It took me to World War II. It took me to what did British producers have in mind when they put a movie in theaters. So again, before TV was finding its way, and certainly there were no cell phones, but it was men at war, women going to the movies, and what did they need to see? And the history of British cinema from the 1920s forward. Now, just to orient our audience, our listening and viewing audience, this movie was released in 1947. Uh, I will not steal any historical thunder from Chris on this show. I'm sure he'll want to get to that. If he doesn't, we'll get to it as a group. But Yoshi, I'll, I'll be succinct here and just say that it's fascinating. The, the a mellow, melodrama, I, in my 20s and 30s, never watched American melodrama. Douglas Sirk, uh, some of those great movies he did with Rock Hudson, uh, Imitation of Life, just these stories of a couple together, but she's longing for someone else. I used to laugh at those movies. Uh, Black Narcissus had so many moments where I said, I need to study what's going on here. It took me into not only British history, which I'm sure Chris will allude to, 
No pressure, Chris, but also British cinematic history. He really wants just, you to talk about history today, Chris. I, 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 talk I, about yeah, it uh, now. Yeah, 19, 1947. <laughs> what, what significance is that? Um, yeah, I, I was deeply moved by this movie uh, to do that because I felt like I would come into today's show and I would be the last person to rate this movie because I wanted to keep it out of the depths of even getting close to phase four because I didn't know where our sensibility was but to me you're you're a little you're pleasantly surprised right now pleasantly surprised because and i'll wrap up with this you at the top of the show you said what do you want to do i said well we have if we if we are here as a society to revitalize cinema to bring it out from entertainment this is a movie among many that we'll watch this year that we need to look at now whether it's done on this show adequately enough or it is some other short show. I know, you know, a lot of podcasts have an abbreviated show, but this is definitely something if we want to educate our listener and viewership, this is the kind of movie, whether it's this one or another, with the persons involved, the actors involved, the themes, um, melodrama. This is a this is one worthy of a lot of discussion. Paul, I'll circle back to you eventually uh, to get a specific from you. Let it ruminate if I'm going to ask you a question of what specifically is something that we should really walk away with um, appreciating about this film, regardless of how uh, melodramatic it might have been. So I want to bring it to you now, Aaron. Uh, first, before I do that, I want to say that I want to say that uh, this Powell and Pressburger are a huge influence on one Martin Scorsese. He's been uh, a big part of bringing them sort of, of sort of revitalizing them. Actually, he's been a big part of revitalizing their films and getting them on Criterion and, and such. I'm familiar with Powell and Pressburger from three of their other films, which I like all three of them. In fact, I love one of them. One of the weird things about this show is that when I bring films on the show, they're films that I haven't seen for the most part. You know, we Dance of Reality is, is an exception today. So it's interesting, like for example, on our last show I brought in a Tarkovsky film, one I haven't seen. So it's 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 just a weird thing where I ha I know of masters who I consider to be masters who who have films that I adore, and yet I'm bringing other films on that maybe aren't the ones that everybody knows and so maybe they're not really the directors aren't really having the opportunity to get as appreciated as maybe they deserve so uh, I think I will bring Powell and Pressburger back in later in the year that long rant is a segue for me to say Aaron is it fair to say that there's a lot of things to respect about this film especially considering that it was before the 50s but ultimately it was the melodrama that made it ultimately impossible to, to, to really enjoy? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, f first of all, let's just respect the, the dive into color in 1947. Technicolor. Technicolor. And that's what really brought this score up for me was the beautiful shots. I mean, it was like a canvas painting and we were in it and it was fun and fantastical um, and just beautiful. Like they really use color in such an artistic way. And you could tell that they were obsessed with the color palettes of the film and how everything was going to look. And that just took this away from me. I mean, I'm a huge fanatic about eye shots. Like when you get really close and see what the eyes are doing. And this film just laid into that. I mean, those shots of, um, sorry, what was that woman, the, the young Indian yeah. girl? She was like 23. Um, uh, her name. 
Sorry, I'm looking. I'll keep forward. going. I'll, I'll get. I'll get it for you. Keep going. But that shot, you know, when she was next to the window, Gene and Simmons, Gene, Gene Simmons, Simmons playing Kanchi. Okay, Gene Simmons. When we zoomed in on her eyes, she has those like lizard hazel green eyes, and I was just like, oh my god, like it's just so captivating. She was so beautiful. Um, that yeah, is she was, where wow, she was so phenomenal. Beautiful. And just yeah, some of those yeah. shots where the 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 nuns are at the desk and that the the girl that goes sour, uh, Sister, Sister Ruth, Ruth, and she just looks up and you got the eyes and it's like, oh my yeah, god. Yeah, and they're you know? fucking like someone had rubbed them for like three hours. Yeah, That's they put red makeup. It was more than they like put something there. It looked like they were raw. Like it looked yeah. like she had been doing that. And you could tell she was just yeah. going crazy. She was dealing with this desire and this love and like, or, you know, just wanting to break free of the nunnery. Um, I think the best of those shots, Aaron, <laughs> not to interrupt you, the best of those shots is the pencil shot where we yeah, go down to the pencil on the desk mm -hmm. and we zoom so deep into the pencil. It reminded me of the shot in the night porter a little bit. And then it pans up and it's deep in her eyes. And yeah. I love and, that, and that's a lot crazy. of those shots felt undeserved. Like uh, they, they, they felt like random. Yeah, yeah. Like it didn't feel like they deserved those shots, but the shots were were actually amazing. Yeah. yeah, they they felt a little disconnected, almost like the cinematographer and the director were like experimenting with amazing uh, techniques that we would use later on in cinema. They just didn't know how to combine them with like that traditional kind of Hollywood drama feel that they had in the forties. And now we have this like very unique, uh, a micro expression in, in the cinema. And, and that's, I mean, for the forties, like that's very rare. I don't think I've seen those pencil shots or those well, that's, yep. eye drawing, you know, just like here. That's to Paul's point that he was making earlier is these are the kind of moments that we're punching through cinema this, in this type of a film where there are inventive things that Powell and Pressburger were doing that nobody else was doing, especially at the advent of color being part of cinema. And, and these, these sort of tension-building uh, shots, you know, though they felt undeserved for us, um, ultimately are shots that you know, maybe opened up things for, for, for directors such as um, Roman Polanski, for instance. Um, so, so yeah, uh, I, I do want to mention Gene Simmons. Uh, I hardly recognized her. I know her from one other film called Elmer Gantry. I don't know if you've seen that, Paul. Yeah. But Elmer Gantry is a fun Spartacus. film. <laughs> and Spartacus she's yeah. in. Um, so she's, she's a great actress um, and was absolutely stunning in this film. Um, so, so, uh, so Chris, you have a you had a little less uh, love for the film. What was it? A six nine? You gave it six point four. A six point four. Um, I want to first say before we segue into your experience of the film that um, in my research, I discovered that this entire film was done in a studio. Yeah, mm. Pinewood. In London. Not, that's impressive. None of this was actually on location. None of this was outdoors. I mean, there was maybe some outdoors shots you couldn't outside, tell. outside the studio. Well, I could tell to a degree, but I definitely thought that they had a location somewhere in the mountains for, for some of those shots. But yes, of course, the very first time we see uh, the church uh, on the cliffside, it was 
relatively obvious that it was a miniature sh- miniature set that yeah. they were filming and all of the backdrops were paintings and and uh powell powell goes on record i watched some of the commentary with him and, and scorsese on this film and he said that uh his biggest inspiration for this film was walt disney that makes so, sense so he looked at lots of the disney films of the time and like sort of that. And, and sort of decided to make a, a live-action Disney film, in a sense. So that goes sour, if you will. So, Chris, what was your experience watching this film? I was so bored. Uh, I, I, was in, I, I kept watching it, and I was able to keep watching it because of the cinematography. But I couldn't give a less of a shit about the melodrama was going on. I could not give less of a shit about Mr. Dean and why you know all the nuns wanted to fuck him. Like, I did not care about that. I wanted a story where this location and this, like, the house of women and the wind constantly blowing. I wanted that, just them. Like, I want, like, a a Lars von Trier, you know, Valhalla Rising type movie where, like, there's ten lines of dialogue and it's all close shots. And, like, the nuns have a vow of silence or something. Take Mr. Dean out of it. Leave the fucking uh, the dude, the the shaman on the hill, and he's got he has the most lines in the film. That's what I wanted. I okay. wanted this dour film that we were promised with Ida, and I wanted it to deliver. Well, you're not wrong. I mean, I think that the first half of this film is a great film, and I think the second half is a really bad film. I think it falls apart at the seams very quickly because they had all the elements there to really turn this into a horror film. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, and, and let the altitude, the altitude of the Himalayas, you know, really be this sort of uh, playground for the devil to start to test everybody's will. You know, they all think that they're in line with God and we have everything set up for a really interesting uh, uh, story to develop where the devil is testing everyone, which it was happening. But again, like it was just way melodramatic and the Deborah Kerr character, not Deborah Kerr. Uh, Who's Ruth, uh, sister Ruth, who who is the one who turns bad, right? That's her. Yeah, Kathleen Byron. Yeah, there was just it, it. They just didn't execute that turn well. It just didn't feel deserved. It felt like you know, like why is she turning? Like we don't we don't really understand why she's turning, and why is she turning so dramatically? Why is she like the devil? Like place nestle this in reality. Like explore the temptations more yeah and 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 have little instances happen behind closed doors where like just give us a little 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 moments here and there where things are happening not just that she turns evil yeah you know like you can't just turn evil like why is she turning evil let's focus on the temptations let's focus on the altitude and let's focus on the dissolve of um willpower of these characters so i agree with you chris i do yeah, I mean, insert literally. It's a two shot. It's literally just her walking into that like blue room in in the in the actual uh, the halls, and then staring at that mural, and the mural starts to stare back. That's it. You insert that scene in that movie it makes a lot more sense. It gets a point more for me, of just like <laughs> point, oh, yeah. she she wants to she wants to indulge in carnal desires. They're in a literal whorehouse that used to be in a harem. And so she's looking at these paintings and thinking about what her life could be because they only take a, a vow every year. It's oh. Yeah. So what I would invite you to do, because the notes you just touched on, Chris, I would yeah. invite you to take a look, if not already, uh, at the FX updated at, interpretation. At Narcissus, yeah. Right. But so because those notes, the notes you talked about at the top of the description of this movie are the opening moments, the oh. general, his concubines, 
what mysteries occurred death yeah is it murder suicide and then the, how that just that Paul just rests yeah. on the on, on the entire palace uh, place of worship and then we fast forward to what 1939 or 33 I believe um, the Anglican nuns and now they're mm-hmm. You know, and the monastery unfolds, and it tonally hits the notes you want it to hit. Um, could they hit so that back like, in 1947 with, you know, that's where I was hoping you'd touch on, like, you know, oh, India independence. You know, okay, okay, very good. So then I will be quiet. No, no, no. <laughs> before so you get like, to the history. Yeah. Before you get to the history, Chris, uh, just for our audience, Paul is referring to a 2020 BBC remake of this movie of the same title. Which I have not seen, Paul. You watched it? Yeah, I watched it? it. Yeah, just it. I, I'm in the middle of it, so it. But like, anticipating that there be a one or a few of us might not. I'm, I'm not here to say this is a B or an A movie. I'm just saying like, Powell and Pressburger laid some groundwork here. They saw something. They were able to encapsulate it, deliver it to a 1947 audience that fit the times. But it needs a little bit more because. I think we're all captivated with, uh, uh, you know, Sister Ruth, and I want that. I really want to see that character come to life. I don't want these abrupt shifts in her uh, character without some narrative history or just something happening. Do you recommend the show? I do. If you are curious about like where this movie might have gone in with a modern interpretation, because uh- you know, um, I, again, I, my, my, you know, the, I'll say it a lot. Somebody much smarter than me saw this movie. They were impressed, as was Scorsese. They were impressed by the color, the lushness of this. I need to read the book. And then when you get into, you know, Rumor Godden, who's the novelist, um, there's a lot there. And I could see somebody, a reader at a studio, cycling through her novels and going, yeah, we definitely should redo this. And because it just has, plus it's it's really ensconced in British cinematic history. I mean, this is a movie, Black Narcissus, that a film historian will go back to and say, yeah, this is one of our top 100 British films of all time. It may not be for reasons because of our modern sensibility that we appreciate, but in the canon of British cinema, this is a noteworthy film. Yeah, and and uh, we should make note that the cinematographer is Jack Cardiff, who is a uh, a legend for this time period. After, so, yeah, yeah, he's he's a big big time cinematographer. So, Chris, uh, we have about five minutes, so yes. go ahead and give us a brief uh, history lesson if you that's what so. You're it's super interesting that this movie came out in 1947, and it deals with colonialism because the separation of the I think they called it at the Republic of India at that point. Basically, the reason that Pakistan and India are two separate countries happened this year. So the, the in the local news, you would see like, oh, you know, the British Empire has separated Pakistan into India after, you know, inflating conflicts between the Muslims and the Hindus. It is a this basically was the start of Pakistan and India hating each other. So to have this and then the overbearingness of colonialism at the time with actors in literal brown face is just like it, it, it's this movie is from the 40s. Like Gene Simmons, white. She's very white. And you can see this because there's a shot where she's getting hit and they put her head on her hands and the face makeup does not match her hand makeup. Oh, she's boy. very white. 
And so it's just like, what's, uh, I'm just, I want to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah. What, what exactly are you talking about? <laughs> so when, when India was a colony of the British empire, they basically, you know, you, you were bound down to, uh, the British empire. So you were a colony. You, you worked and did everything for the empire. Yes, you might have all of this other stuff. Like, you know, you have a local ruler, you have your local schools, but like you at any point can get your children taken away because you're too Indian. Like people look at the American revolution as like, oh, it was brutal. You know, the, we were taxation. It was like, yeah, but we weren't being rounded up and like sent off to camps to do like labor. You know, our leaders weren't being killed for going for independence. Like there's a reason that like Gandhi at this time was like as, as uh, you know big as he was for a nonviolent uh, independence movement. Like that was huge because like a lot of times in like Chile and and Haiti, for example, it were these violent re revolutions that the empire had to go and quell, and they had been quelling these revolutions for decades. And this was like the like the start of the downfall of the British Empire, really. Yeah. Before we wrap up, I want to uh, I want to bring up yeah, Aaron. I'll, I'll let you close it out. I just want to bring up uh, something here. Um, it's it's one of the parts of the films that I that I laughed at was uh, it's like you know everyone you know thinks they know who they are. These nuns think they have willpower and stuff. And then the devil was like, no 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 no, not so fast. What if everyone was hot? Mm -hmm. Then let's see what happens and so he so everybody's hot you know you got all these hot attractive people attractive nuns this attractive man this attractive whatever her the the uh, gene simmons character was what was she a princess or what, what was she she would no she, she was, was just an eight she was an 18 year old uh she was too much trouble than she was worth so w what did they do they gave her to a nunnery and of course there's the uh the prince or the general, excuse me, who's yes, extremely Sabu. attractive. And then there's Mr. Dean, who is extremely attractive. Killer yeah, outfit, so it's like, by the way. Yeah. Killer yeah, totally. 10 out of 10 every time he stepped on the scene. It was 100%. Like, dude, 100%. I got to I gotta have one of those outfits. Yeah, so the devil was kind of like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to make all of you hot, and let's see the hypocrisy run wild now. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, um, and then the one other thing I wanted to bring up was uh, Sister Superior. Uh, it's funny because she's like desperate to keep Dean away, but it's not because she wants him away. It's because she knows that he represents the snake in their garden. You know, like they're 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 making a little paradise, a little Eden up there, and he's the snake slithering in. And but and is he though? He he's not. He's not adequate. He's not like saying I want to do this. He's just doing it by virtue of being who he is. It's their it's their inner temptations. He doesn't tempt them. He doesn't no, say. Like, I agree. Let's That's go fuck. He's not. He's not a snake. But for their little for the for the analogy of their of them having an Eden, she rec recognizes that his presence is the snake in their garden. Not because he's doing anything wrong. It's because he knows. She knows instinctively that this guy's hot and he's got a dick, and I want it. And yeah. I know I'm not the only one. Um, so, Aaron, why don't you close this out? We got just a couple minutes here. Yeah, I just want to say, like, this uh, this film could have got so many points higher if the acting was better. And that's just one of the things I kept dragging it down. It was like, the acting is so bad. I kept wanting, like, Danny Kaye to just swing through a window, you know, <laughs> and save the movie, right? That would like, be awesome. 
That Give me great. Danny Kaye in this film. I think he would have been fantastic in this role. It would have lo- uh, just given life to the movie mm-hmm. in more of a comedic sense, but also in a playful sense. This guy felt very rigid, like he should have been on Wages of Fear or like... Mm. I'm trying to think of some other films we've seen where it's like he was kind of playing. What was that one with uh, all the three minors? I'm, uh, I'm Wages to, of Fear. Treasure oh, of it is? Sierra oh, Treasure of Sierra Madre. Yeah. Treasure of Sierra Madre. It was almost like we took one of those characters and put that guy in this film. And it just like it was clunky. It didn't fit. Um, and it was just frustrating. I like uh, I forget who said this. Maybe it was Chris, but I wanted that man on the mountain to be more of the movie. Like yeah. I yeah. kept yeah. waiting mm-hmm. for that to unravel and be like, Oh, maybe this is like something interesting that, that we're, we're not expecting. Like, you know, this whole society's falling apart. The nuns have committed a murder, I guess, unintentionally. Um, what is the man on the mountain going to do? How is he going to bring resolution to this? And it, he didn't do anything. He just like yeah. sat there and we went up to the mountains, saw him and said, yeah, he just doesn't do anything. It's like, oh, okay. I guess we don't care about this character. Like, why do we keep coming back to this? You, it, know, you guys yeah. left us with no symbolism. There was no, like, I know they were trying to make it like a godlike symbolism. Like God is there watching. And we, you know, we're making those sacrifices to the all-seeing eye. But it was like, I don't know. I just, you got, there, there was so much potential here. Um, and the ending kind of felt clunky too, that death, you know, where she like almost yeah. gets pushed off. And then she like comes back on the platform and the other girl just, oh no, I fell off oh, the mountain. No. Yeah. no. It was like. Oh boy, man, we are really in the forties for some of these uh cuts and takes and how we sold a, a death in that era. Paul it's, 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 Paul yeah, sixty sixty yeah. seconds, the floor is yours. Real quick, because I what I would say is to your point, Aaron, um uh Jack Cardiff, cinematographer and the editor whose name escapes me at the moment, I would argue that that death, that final death, when Sister Ruth comes out, her makeup that shot of her with those eyes that could span generations. I thought I was watching a 2020 movie when she she's standing in the doorway. The ending of the movie bothered me for reasons different from yours because I think it was lifted by Hitchcock for the ending of Vertigo because he worked with Jack Cardiff on his second color film, Under Capricorn. I bet there's a book somewhere that's going to substantiate this for me. Those shot, the shoes... Oh, the sh- screamed. It's almost like Kim Novak and Jimmy Stewart up at the top of the bell tower. And I went, there's a reason why we're not watching Vertigo. Thank you, Yoshi. I Because I love the fact that Yoshi mentioned Martin Scorsese adores this movie. I love the fact that we have looked at a, uh, a summary of movies that have influenced Paul Thomas Anderson. I think if Hitchcock were alive, he would point to this movie and say, yeah, the color, the lesbian undercurrent, that ending shot. Yeah, I lifted all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's a good catch from you for Vertigo. Was it basically a, a, a complete steal, or was it? Is it just- I, it's just Paul's thoughts, just my hypothesis. But uh, when you start, you know, when you see how, uh, well, we'll get to another movie shortly where we know people know each other and then create really wonderful art. I, you know, I have got to believe that, you know, 
Hitchcock's formative years at Gainsborough Pictures and meeting people along the way. I mean, everyone talks. You're in British cinema. It's not a, a huge circle of people. You're esteemed. And then you start to meet great editors and uh, great um, great cinematographers. And uh, Reginald Mills, that's who it was. It was driving me nuts. Reginald Mills um, was the editor on this on this film. And then, you know, you just start to borrow something, take a look at somebody's uh, picture and... I'll, you know, I'll steal something. I can't say, I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying that. Well, I mean, um, even if it is, it's not. I mean, I, I sent you, Paul, or maybe the group, a video of uh, Paul Thomas yeah. Anderson's ins yeah, yeah. inspirations for The Master. And it's like, you know, 70% of that film, so, like many of the shots that we relished in on our show when we reviewed that film were direct steals direct steals um but that's cinema you know and, and and it's not necessarily it's not you know the same thing happens in music like these past works live on through the reinterpretations of of them um so so i i see nothing wrong with it and paul thomas anderson definitely made that movie his own regardless of what he was stealing from so black narcissus walks away with a seven four on dead cinema society let's move on